0: It's the breakup story that we've all been waiting for. It's episode 292 of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. I'm James Witham, and I have been talking about the Harley Quinn animated series for a long time now. I mean, basically ever since it's been announced, and then we find out that Justin Halperin and Patrick Schumacher were involved. I was all in on that, and then I saw the first episode of Comic-Con. Couldn't wait, so guess what? Yep, going to be talking to Patrick Schumacher and Justin Halperin about the series on the show this week. And yeah, we're going to dive, not just the first episode, but we'll tease ahead to some of the other future episodes that are going to be on the show. That's going to be on DC Universe starting on November the 29th. Make sure you are subscribed. You do not want to miss the Harley Quinn animated series. I can't wait for you to hear what Patrick Schumacher and Justin Halpern have to say. Plus, yeah, I'm going to be talking about apple tv Plus's servant we'll talk about the first three episodes of that show and yeah that thing that kathleen kennedy said to rolling stone this week i i have plenty of thoughts about kathleen kennedy and the star wars movie franchises but first gotta get to comics it's what we're reading next on the down and nerdy podcast
2: hey this is patrick schumacher and justin halpern and you are listening to the down and nerdy podcast
0: whether you're bagging and boarding or freeing up space on your hard drive, whatever you're reading on, it's time for what we're reading and it's time to dive into another multiverse, this time for Eternia. That's right, He-Man and the Masters of the Multiverse, number one, from DC, which is written by Tim Seeley, Dan Fraga on the pencils, Richard Friend on the inks, Matt Yaki on the colors, and Saida Timofonte on the letters, and Inhyak and In- Lee with an amazing, like, out of this world cover. If you haven't seen it yet, you definitely need to. Now, just like any other multiverse, there's doppelgangers and multiple versions of any Earth in this story. Now, every Eternia is under siege, though, by an extremely powerful multiverse villain who's kind of collecting power to make himself a god in a a certain sense. It's really hard to tell you exactly What's going on here without spoiling anything? I don't like to spoil these books, so it's it's going to be really difficult. Now, the only hope lies in the one good version of a certain character in the He-Man mythos, which you will definitely know, in the whole multiverse. Now, the problem is, when we meet this person, it seems impossible that he'd be helpful, like, at all. I mean, the only time only time will tell on that, but this, this actually comes to pass... But, I mean, you see him and you're like, really? This clown is the one that you're counting on to save the universe? And I know that that's not, like, unheard of in a story before, but you, you look at this character and you go, come on, really? Now, there's nothing too atypical about this story in general so far. Um, part of it could also be that the premise has already been kind of laid out for us pretty clearly. So that could certainly have something to do with it. I mean, understanding how divergent these characters are, from what we're used to is really kind of the interesting part of this first issue. I mean, that that it is other than the art because the art is certainly at its strongest during action sequences and there are plenty of those in this first issue. Be, I mean, the covers simply amazing though. There's no there's no doubt about that. I'm just kind of hoping the second issue is going to provide a bit more surprises and a bit more intrigue because everything seemed you know, you're know you turning the page and you're not surprised by what you're seeing next. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. There's still a cool factor if you're a Masters of the Universe fan, if you're a He-Man fan in general. There's There are definitely interesting plot points in this, but if you're looking for something to to spice up your pull box, I just, I don't know. I, I, I wanted this one to be better than it actually was, but I'm also not ready to give up on it yet. So we'll give this a pickup, which means I'll give it another issue or two, see if things pick up and if they don't well then i'm fortunately gonna have to go in the drop box wait well, here is a brand new beginning for the merc with the mouth that's a right. deadpool number one the 2019 edition from marvel comics written by kelly thompson and i mean drawn by a village of artists so here we go we've got chris bachalo on the pencils wayne Faucher, tim townsend al Vey, jamie mendoza Say and Victor Olabzaba on the inks. That's right, a bunch of inkers there. David Curiel on the colors and VCs. Jose Bino on the letters. Unfortunately for Deadpool, he isn't having a great day, and it's about to get worse after he takes a new for hire gig. Now, that's not saying I'm not. I'm not saying he's got in over his head with this one, but it's always nice to know what you're doing before you actually say yes to it, but that's just not Deadpool style, is it? Now, Wade actually gets an unexpected assist. It sort of leads to something even more surprising. So for one minute, you think the story's going one direction, then right in the middle, you go, oh, that's an interesting little revelation. So Deadpool finds himself in a role that he's never really been in before, and this has a lot of potential to be hilarious. like I mean a lot. You see the beginnings of that in this issue, but you just just know that there are an infinite amount of possibilities for this. Now, just when it looks like things are looking up, right towards the end of the book, we actually see a very familiar face during the story that's going to make life very, very difficult for the Merc with the mouth and I mean very difficult because, yeah, this is also another character that you are going to know. Now, I actually like the slight tweaks to the character design in this book. I've seen kind of back and forth thoughts on it. I, I think if you're going to redo a book like Deadpool, if you're going to start fresh, you have to have a fresh look. And and that's exactly what we have in this book. So that, I mean, it makes him look, look younger. It definitely feels like a different take, so I don't think that that's a bad thing. It's a little bit more Spider Man esque though, if I'm being honest. It does remind me of Spidey a little bit more. Now there are some really good jokes in this issue. You need to have that in a Deadpool in a Deadpool book. And just moments of Deadpool just being Deadpool. There there is some of that in this book. There are actually there are a couple of unnecessary detours at times in this book though, if I'm being honest. But it doesn't derail the larger story. I mean There are times where you're going, "Ah, I wish we wouldn't focus on this. And then you just kind of, it kind of goes away from that. Now, the villain reveal itself is an interesting one. And it'll be interesting to see where that goes and just how formidable of a threat this is going to be to Deadpool himself. So I will say I did enjoy this book. I think Kelly Thompson Bring something fresh and new to the book. So I'm excited. I'm going to put this one in the poll box because I do really think that the reveal in the middle of this book, what Deadpool actually is in this story, at least in the early going, could have some very hilarious moments to come and build up to a really good story. So I'm going to throw this one in the poll box, basically on faith alone at this point. That's going to do it for what we're reading up next. Going to dive into Apple TV Plus. I'll give you an early spoiler free review of Servant, brand new series from M. Night Shyamalan. That's next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This
2: is comic book writer Elliot Ray Hall
0: and Donna Kate,
2: and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast.
0: Introducing another streaming service to the fray this week and going to Apple TV Plus for a new thriller and just in general creepy kind of story here. It's Servant from director M. Night Shyamalan. Now, I I am going to give you spoiler-free review. I got a chance to see the first few episodes, which are going to be premiering on November the 28th, so I will give you my thoughts on the first three episodes, spoiler-free, but there is one specific thing that I will have to spoil for you, but we'll get to that in a second. So, basically, this story is about a young couple, and they basically had to replace their newborn baby who had and this is this is the spoiler right here that passed away and the child died from complications that we don't really know about in these first few episodes just the child passed away and it took its toll on on the mother Dorothy Turner who's played by Lauren Ambrose and it's basically what they call a reborn doll it looks exactly like exactly like a real child but it's fun. it's interesting how the the wife Dorothy Turner and the husband Sean Turner, who's played by Tony Cabell, kind of deal with this differently. One of them is in complete denial, and the other one is basically almost like they could care less. And and and, and that's the and that's the dad. And it's really seeing Sean Turner the way he treats this doll, and now he's the one that's consciously where the doll isn't real. There's a psychological breakdown going on. With Dorothy but still at the same time it's like he he certainly keeps up appearances when his wife is around when she's not around it's very it's very wooden it's very sterile it's it's really hard to just, once you see it it's it's pretty it's unnerving at times and the, and there's times where this show is very has very uncomfortable moments let me put it that way and and it gets even weirder when they hire someone to help take care of of the baby whose name is Jericho, by the way, and that is Leanne Grayson, who's played by Nell Tiger Free, and you want to talk about and this is not at all a criticism, by the way. A completely level and flat performance from Leanne. You would think that she was this, you know, very shy girl from a small town sort of thing, who just wants to go in and, you know, do what she's supposed to do. And not really say a whole lot. And her job is to take care of the baby because Dorothy Turner's a working mom. Uh, dad Sean Turner, he works at home. He's got a very busy business for 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 certain you know for certain things. So he you know they need somebody to take care of the baby. And I just put that in air quotes. Now here's the thing. That's that's as much as I'll really tell you about the the kind of the plot of the show and who the characters are. One thing I will tell you that's very interesting is is that. You'll know where this show is going in a certain respect. Now, when I first started watching the show, I was like, well, you know, this is kind of predictable. I'm not sure how I feel about this. Yeah, it's uncomfortable and it's certainly creepy at times, but I see the writing on the wall here. I know what's going to happen. Okay. Maybe you think you do. And I'm not going to spoil anything, but at the same time, as I kept watching the show, you think it's you think the intrigue lies in one aspect of it, when in reality it's a completely different thing that is going to draw the intrigue and drive the story forward. And that was the really big surprise for me. It was very much a sleight of hand where you think you're where you're you're being shown one thing so much that you're not really focusing on the other thing. And then all of a sudden the other thing is the thing you wished you were focusing a little bit more on. That's the best the best way that i could really possibly put it the other interesting thing about this show is is that we interact with very very few characters in these first couple of episodes and that's not something that's very typical especially with a new series you usually have like a cast of characters or you have you know, like your heroes and your big bad sort of thing or you have your main characters their adversaries or people that will come and interact with the story and you get very, very little of that in this first in these first few episodes. We do have a brother of the uh, the Turner family that shows up, and he's one of the few that actually knows the truth about what happened to the baby, about what happened to Jericho, and what's going on with his sister Dorothy. So we do get to see some interaction with him, but for the for the most part, it is the Turner family, Leanne. And in the confines of their home, too. That's the other interesting thing. The setting doesn't really change a whole lot in these first few episodes. And But that, again, that is where some of the intrigue lies as well. Because, yeah, I mean, there's different parts of the house. But at the same time, you know what city they're in. It's almost like a, do you need to see the outside? of? What, do you need to see what's going on outside of the home? In the, at this particular instance, I guess you kind of don't, right? I mean, once you're watching the show, you'll kind of understand why that is. But then the show very slowly but surely dials up the creepy and dials up the supernatural and dials up stuff that starts to become more and more uncomfortable as we go. So it's almost like it's not like, you know, when you have like a, a, a ball of string and you have the end of the ball, right, and you drop it. And and the thing will you know it'll bounce on the ground it'll start to unravel really really quickly as you let it go and then it'll bounce on the ground and unravel some more. This is completely different. It's almost like you're slowly but surely pulling at that thread. It's like a loose thread on a shirt or something. You're slowly but surely pulling on it, and you know eventually that sleeve's coming off if you keep pulling. And that is the first few episodes of Servant to a T so far. You're slowly tugging at that thread and it just feels like in these first few episodes that something is about to come unraveled for sure. And there, the other thing I really love is that sure. There's, there's, there's a light horror aspect here. It's more thriller, more drama than you'd expect. It's, it's one of those shows that will make you feel uncomfortable And the supernatural vibe is definitely there. There's no real jump scares in the show. There's just a lot of stuff that's going to make you feel uneasy. And it really... Like, as someone who has a young baby at home right now myself, it made me super, super uncomfortable. So if you've got kids, you're going to feel creeped out. Like, creeped out to the point where you're going to want to go check on your baby if you have babies at home. I'm I'm just saying... To be ready for that, the the performances themselves from the actors. I mean, again, Nell Tiger Free is for as simple as the performance is at its base, is absolutely dead on perfect for what it needs to be. And you start to see the character evolve, and you, just there's something to be said for a character that you see and you go, I got, I've got to figure this this girl out, and that is Leanne Grayson. You you've got to figure this girl out, you can't quite pinpoint what it is she's doing or what, or what her motives are really. And as far as the Turner family goes, just a lot of dysfunction there. And a lot of that is very true to life as well. And in some instances in some relationships, so there's, there are no real false moments in this show, but just be prepared to have a little bit of a slow burn on this one. And Definitely go through these first few episodes. Think of the first three episodes of Servant as like a movie, in a way. Like chapter one of a story. These first few episodes are definitely a chapter one type of deal. Go through all of them before you form your opinion on the show, because you will definitely be glad you did, because my my opinion of the show definitely changed from episode one to episode two. It's one of those things where I'm glad I didn't give up on it, Not that episode one was bad, it was just a little bit slower than I would have liked it to be because I kind of understood where we were going. But once you get to that second episode and you start getting into that, you're going, oh wow, okay, so this is where we're going? Oh, this is what I should be focusing on. Oh, okay. And the story really starts to pick up in episode two. By the way, these are half hour long episodes, 30 minute episodes too, by the way. So we've seen that now in The Mandalorian and now in Servant. As well. So it's one of those shows that feels very easily bingeable as well because of how short the episodes are. But they don't feel too short, if that makes any sense. But remember, I said earlier, no false moments. This sort of lends itself to that. The fact that you've got shorter episodes, you're getting to the next one faster. So I've got a lot of high hopes for Servant. You'll get the first three episodes right away on Apple TV Plus and then weekly after that, and I think it's going to be a very intriguing season, and I have not watched past episode three yet, but I'm looking forward to finding out exactly how this show is going to turn after episode three, and you'll know what I'm talking about when you see it. So if you already have Apple TV+, Plus, make sure you're giving Servant a try. I think you'll dig it. That's going to do it for my spoiler-free-ish review of Servant from Apple TV+, and M. Night Shyamalan. Up next, yep, there's Not a ton of nerd news, but some interesting stuff at that, and we'll deal with that next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This
2: is Brittany Ishigashi from Mutant Ninja Turtles,
0: Out of the Shadows, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Apparently, Star Wars is hard. It's time for nerd news. The reason I say that is, and buckle up, kids, because I'm in rare form after reading this. This whole nerd news thing might be one giant rant, so I'm just going to set you up for that Right now, in an interview with Rolling Stone, Kathleen Kennedy, that's right, Lucasfilm's president and the one that's been responsible for the recent Star Wars movies, had a little interview with Rolling Stone talking about the Star Wars universe, and the question that was posed by Rolling Stone, the first question that was asked was, is this final entry in the trilogy, a particularly hard nut to crack? Now, it seems like a perfectly reasonable question. You know, it's not necessarily going to be easy to round out the saga, right? But it's here's what she said that bothered me. And I'm going to actually read this for you. Not the the whole answer, but part of it. Kathleen Kennedy says, every one of these movies is particularly hard nut to crack. There's no source material. We don't have comic books. We don't have 800-page novels. We don't have anything other than passionate storytellers who get together and talk about what the next iteration might be. We go through a really normal development process that everybody else does. You start by talking to filmmakers who you think exhibit the sensibilities that you're looking for, and I would argue that list is very small. People who really do have the sensibilities about these kinds of movies And then the experiences and the ability to handle how enormous a job these movies are. So we try to be as thoughtfully as as we possibly can about making those choices. I'm just going to stop right there. Because I want to particularly focus on the there's no source material comment. And this doesn't just go to Kathleen Kennedy, although it really does kind of go to her specifically here. This goes to almost all of Hollywood. Listen. This is something that fans have been clamoring for of any genre, not just sci-fi or nerd culture, any genre whatsoever. Kathleen Kennedy, listen up. Hollywood, listen up. No source material. It's called an original thought. People have them all the time. Very creative and talented people. Have them all the time. Look at all of the creator-owned comic books that there are. I'm going to just use that as an example. Pick up an Image comic. Pick up an IDW comic. Pick up a Dark Horse comic. These are called Original Thoughts. Nothing wrong with licensed material. Nothing wrong with sourced material. But there's also nothing wrong with coming up with a freaking idea, putting pen to paper or hand to keyboard, whatever you want to call it, in 2019... And coming up with a story that just is all of its own. And clearly, you seem to be able to do that, at least to a certain extent, with The Mandalorian. The Mandalorian has been hugely successful and popular already. Because while there are some familiarities there from the universe, and I'll get to that word in a second. It's, there's originality in it. And that's all Star Wars fans have wanted out of these movies since they returned is some original thought and some originality. And you've given us some of that, but you've also given us reboot, rerun type stuff since it's come back. And I'm saying this as someone who's actually enjoyed the recent Star Wars movies and not ripped them to shreds like some fans have. Original thought is possible, Kathleen Kennedy. Have you thought about that for a second? Here's the other thing. I use the word universe, and I go back to once again saying There's no source material. Okay, first of all, there are comics. All right, There there actually are Star Wars comic books. You'd think as somebody who worked for Disney who owns Marvel, you would know that already. But I digress. And yes, by the way, there are novels too, Kathleen. There are extended universes to Star Wars that you might know about if you'd actually take the time to look it up and actually read and understand what it is you're present enough. So let's just go with that for a second, okay? Here's the other problem. I talk about universe. Even if you ignore all of that, which you shouldn't, by the way, because it's something else fans have been clamoring for. Even if you ignore all of that, you still have Star Wars canon. There is still a great base to tell different stories. Again, the Mandalorian takes a base and uses it to its advantage to tell a story. Baby Yoda didn't just drop out of the sky, okay? That is something that there, there is a basis for that. Yoda's species, we don't know a whole lot about that. So let's throw a Yoda baby in the mix of that species and explore that a little bit further, shall we? Great idea. Jon Favreau, well done so far. Two episodes in. This is what you're supposed to do to excite your fandom. And move your franchise forward. If all you have is what's in front of you, you're screwed. And I think that's what fans are worried about of the Star Wars franchise under Kathleen Kennedy. I don't know if she's got blinders on or tunnel vision or what's going on. And, you know, you can question her choices for directors and casting, blah, blah, blah. Okay, let's not do that here. Let's save that. Let's just take these comments specifically. I'm not sure Kathleen Kennedy knows what she has. And that is scary as hell if you're a Star Wars fan. And if I'm not, now correct me if I'm wrong if you're listening to this, is Kathleen Kennedy's contract up in 2020 as president of Lucasfilms? I, th- I believe it is. If it's not 2020, it's coming up. So what they need to decide, you know, Bob Iger and company need to decide at Disney who owns Lucasfilms, is that is this the person, now that your Skywalker saga is ending, is this the person you want to be the president of Lucasfilms when you now have to have a new chapter and you really have, you're really you saying you're moving on from the Skywalker saga so this is a next chapter. This is a critical point for the Star Wars movie franchise. And do you want somebody who has no idea what else has been out there for years in Star Wars as far as stories are concerned to be in charge of that. I would be really, really scared if I were Disney after reading this interview that Kathleen Kennedy had with Rolling Stone. You think I'm overreacting? Think about what has happened under her watch so far with Star Wars. Yes, there's been some good. We've gotten stuff like Rogue One. And I mean, even Solo was, was, a, was a success to a certain extent. I actually enjoyed Solo as well. And again, I haven't disliked Force Awakens or Last Jedi. What I'm saying is is that there there were clear, let's just say, problems or there were clear similarities to the original trilogy in those movies that, you know, fans were looking for something more, something better. And, and you cannot fault fans for that in any stretch. So, is this somebody you want being a part of the next, let's say, 10 years of Star Wars you're going to need to think long and hard about that, and that's just part of the interview that I read. You Go go ahead and go read the Rolling Stone interview, by the way, because it's it it's very interesting. Brian Hyatt does the interview and does the article. It's You're definitely going to want to read this if you're a Star Wars fan, and it might scare you just a little bit, just going to warn you. Okay, I'm going to take a deep breath, and we'll go on to another franchise that maybe headed in the right direction, and that is the Star Trek franchise. And news that broke that Noah Hawley, that's right, from Legion, the the Marvel's Legion from FX, you might know him from that more recently. Yeah, he's going to be directing a new Star Trek movie now before you get too ahead of yourselves and say, okay, so new, what does that mean? Here's exactly what that means. Noah Hawley is going to be doing a Star Trek movie With Chris Pine, Zachary Quinto, Zoe Saldana, Simon Pegg, and Carl Urban. Yeah, that USS Enterprise crew that was supposedly gone, Deadline is reporting that they are on board for this Hawley movie. How about that? And he will work in concert, by the way, as producer with J.J. Abrams. Now, Hawley will not only direct, but he will write the script as well. Okay. This is a good sign, because first of all, Noah Hawley, he, he, this is his second movie that he's directed. Lucy in the Sky was his first, which was recently. So that's a pretty big jump, going from Lucy in the Sky to Star Trek. Now, Noah Hawley is eminently qualified by the TV series that he's done. He, I mean, Fargo, he's worked on that. Marvel's Legion, of course, we talked about that. I think he's worked on Bones and some other things as well. Yeah, he's qualified, and this also shows you that we might be getting a little bit more of a serious tone with these Star Trek movies now with Hawley, or at least something that's going to be different. I think that's the key. When you hire somebody like Noah Hawley, you're looking for something different, somebody that can take your franchise and revive it and make it a little bit of something different. And again, I enjoyed the—I thought the first two Star Trek movies— I thought that Star Trek and Star Trek Into Darkness, I I enjoyed those. Beyond, eh, it was okay. I didn't hate it. It was just okay. But this is definitely something that gives me hope because I don't think these cast members would return if they didn't think there was a good reason to return, if they didn't think that there was going to be new life breathed into these movies because the, the cast was never the problem with these movies. The cast was very good. So now you're going to get somebody like Noah Hawley on board and all of a sudden there's an excitement around that, right? There's a, there's a different energy with him in the room and you're like, well, maybe we'll get a more serious tone or if anything, this might be really crazy and off the rails and that would be cool for a Star Trek movie, right? But then you're also making it canon in a way because you're using the same characters that you used for the last three movies. I'm very curious to see what Noah Hawley can do. With Star Trek, we don't know anything about the plot. We don't know when filming's gonna start, any of that stuff. No, none of that. But I can tell you that this is an exciting development for Star Trek fans. And I can't with, with all the great things that they're doing on CBS All Access for the T V series, it's about time they breathed some new energy and fresh life into the movie franchise. And hopefully Paramount has got something good up their sleeve on this one. Now, here's a story that really, really bounced around A lot as the week went on. And here's basically how it started The Hollywood Reporter put out a report that Joker, the Joker movie, was going to be getting a sequel, and Todd Phillips and Joaquin Phoenix were going to be coming back. And not only that, but that Phillips was also going to be working on other DC origin movies as well. And, you know, you you see that and you think, okay, I, I don't know how Joker could have a sequel based on how it went, but yeah, you know, okay, cool. The movie made like a billion dollars, highest grossing comic book movie of all time. Hard to argue with that, right, from the studio's perspective. But then you're like, I, I don't know. And then you had the report from Deadline just a couple hours after that saying, no, that's not at all what happened. And there was no meeting between Phillips and, and people at Warner Brothers and... Yeah, this is completely false. This is not happening. So then you thought, okay, there's got, there's going to be a truth that comes out here at some point, and it did not take long. The very next day after the report, Todd Phillips speaking to IndieWire basically confirmed that no, there is no planned sequel at this time. There's nothing in development. What he did say was, and I'm, I'm not going to completely quote, because I already gave that quote from Kathleen Kennedy earlier, so I'm not going to just throw, it's not going to be quote-fest on Nerd News this week, but he did say that, yeah, he did want to do more of, the, he wanted to do as many of these as he could, like, create, like, a, like a universe out of it, and they said, mm, no, we don't really want to do that, and, you know, it, it, I it, from what I could tell, he kind of thought that, that was a shot in the dark anyway, so... But, you know, never hurts to ask. So he, he did, and he's kind of, he kind of implied that, you know, don't say that it's not going to happen, but right now there's no plans for that. So I don't know if you meant don't, you know, don't think another Joker movie can not happen or don't think some of these other movies can not happen, but... You know, again, this is one of those things where you've really got to be careful here because obviously Joker did so well and it was so well received by so many and then, of course, there were others that, you know, felt otherwise because that's, quite frankly, that's movies. That's just how things go. But I've always said that not everything needs a sequel. Sometimes things can just stand on their own. And it's okay. And ma- matter of fact, Christian Bale just came out and said not too long ago. I can't remember who he spoke to, so um, excuse me for not remembering who to who to credit here. But Christian Bale, in an interview, basically said he turned down a fourth Batman movie because he didn't want to be too indulgent. You know, you don't want to overdo it. So, and the way that Dark Knight Rises ended, you know, kind of made sense that you would not do another Batman movie. And in this particular instance, I mean, with Joker, do. Do you need another one? I mean obviously you, you seeing Joaquin Phoenix come back and play the character again would would be pretty great if you can find a way to do it the right way. But again, if you're going to do another Joker movie, can you do that without a Batman or a Nightwing or or Batgirl or something like that? You you'd have to have a hero there, wouldn't you? you you'd have to have something there, some sort of adversarial reason to be doing another Joker movie, right? You can't just, you can't do what you did. I I would think again. So I I think that this is something you definitely have to have pause over doing another one of these, but you know, if he wants to go ahead and do like a Lex Luthor movie or something, or like a Poison Ivy movie, maybe I'd be, I'd be down with that. If they wanted to try and do some other DC origin story, Movies, I'd be perfectly okay with that as long as, again, they're done properly and it's a good story. I'm, I'm cool with that. Just to see where that could go. So, again, I think this is one of those instance, instances where somebody got a little ahead of themselves, reported something that uh, I don't know where they came up with the information, honestly. And, and you know, you kind of have egg on your face at this point. So, we'll just have to wait and see what happens with this one. But this could be a blessing in disguise of not getting another Joker movie because, you know. Just because something does really, really well at the box office doesn't mean it should automatically greenlight a sequel. I tried to warn you about this next thing, and I'm not sure that I was listened to on this, but how about this? Runaways, which is going to be premiering on Hulu. The season three will be back December the 13th on Hulu. And guess what? It's going to be the final season that was reported by TV Line before the trailer came out, by the way. And I tried to warn you, When Kevin Feige took control of basically all things creative in Marvel, this was going to be a scrubbing of anything I didn't greenlight or I didn't touch with my own hands is going to go bye-bye. And that's exactly what is happening with Marvel television. I know that there are plenty of Runaways fans that are super upset about this. And you should be upset about this, by the way. There's, There's... Maybe the show shouldn't play on past three seasons. Maybe three seasons is just good enough. Maybe you thought two seasons of Legion was good enough. Maybe you thought that the Marvel Netflix series ended perfectly. I would argue that any of those things could have easily gone on and it would have made sense. Okay, I don't think you need to scrub something just because you didn't bring it to the forefront. I'm just worried that everything is going to be... Marvel Studios, MCU movie-related, and that's all we're going to get. Sometimes it's just nice to step outside of those things. And I know Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. was connected to this for the most part, but also they told plenty of their own story and were able to step outside when they were allowed to and were able to step outside the world of those movies and tell their own story. It was nice to see Legion do that. It was nice to see Cloak and Dagger do that. It was nice to see Runaways do that. And I'm just worried that we're not going to get that anymore. And, and again, we're we're just getting rid of everything that Feige wasn't responsible for and everything that Jeff Loeb was responsible for. And again, I I echo this one more time. Jeff Loeb didn't do a bad job with Marvel TV. Did he have, were, were they all winners? No, but he didn't do a bad job. He actually did a pretty darn good job. Now quickly, I want to talk about the trailer. Just we get to see Ty and Tandy show up, not get a warm welcome by the way, but this, this is going to be the last time we're going to see Ty and Tandy maybe ever unfortunately Olivia Holt and Aubrey Joseph who did a great job in those roles and there's actually a couple of really funny interaction between them at the at the end of the trailer which I I laughed so I'm looking forward to that dynamic and then we finally get to see Morgan and she looks pretty damn powerful and I don't know how the kids are going to be able to stop her I'm going to be honest I know that's cliche but it's she just seems very formidable, and I'm not sure how they're really going to get past that, especially where they're at as a group right now. They're not necessarily a well-tuned, fine-oiled machine here. So now, And then the other question is, could one of the kids actually be something that they're not aware of, with this whole alien thing going on? Those are questions that are going to be answered starting December the 13th on Hulu and Marvel's Runaways has their third and final season. Really quick, I want to talk about another trailer released by HBO. And this one for a new space comedy. How about that? Avenue 5. It's going to be coming out in January. And it's basically a space cruise where something goes horribly wrong. And they're stuck where they are. And they have to live with each other until it's fixed. And there's you know there's panic ensuing by the passengers. Rich passengers, too, by the way. Because this is like a luxury cruise liner type of thing. So... There's funny dynamics at play there. You've also got the owner of the cruise liner that's on the ship. You've got Hugh Laurie as the captain who is hilarious in this trailer so far. I'm just going to say that it's about time we got something like this that's a comedy. Something that's actually supposed to be funny and is going to toe that line, at least in the trailer anyway, is, is going to be funny and not apologize for it because this comes from the same people that created Veep. Okay, so you know that they're not going to take things too seriously for themselves, and just because something sci-fi doesn't necessarily mean, and in space doesn't necessarily mean you have to take a serious tone with it all the time. So this was just seeing this trailer was just so refreshing. I love what HBO is doing with their sci-fi and nerd culture, nerd culture shows right now. They're getting it, and they're drawing a lot of attention. And it's almost like you wanted fans to forget about. Game of Thrones, even though they're going to do the prequel, you wanted fans to say, because the biggest question was, well, how are they going to fill that void? What's going to be the next Game of Thrones? And instead of giving us the next Game of Thrones, they're giving us all these different stories to look at with Watchmen, His Dark Materials, now Avenue 5, different tones, different types of stories. And I'm loving every minute of what HBO is going to be doing, right, is doing right now, and is going to be doing in 2020. Can't wait for Avenue 5. That's going to do it for Nerd News. Up next, going to be talking about some Harley Quinn with executive producers of the animated series, Patrick Schumacher and Justin Halperin. They're next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hi, I'm Cameron
2: Beacon-Gilbert from Gotham on Down and Nerdy Podcast.
0: Well, you guys know that I haven't been able to shut up about the Harley Quinn animated series. I mean, not just since it's been announced, but since I saw the premiere at San Diego Comic-Con. This past year. And, and I got to tell you, so happy to talk to these guys again. You might remember these names. They've been on the show before. It's Patrick Schumacher and Justin Halpern. Guys, how's it going? Good, Good well. it. So now I'm sure both of you guys were just as excited as any of us the idea of working on a Harley Quinn animated series. But were you kind of surprised at how much freedom you actually had creatively to tell the story?
2: Every day we came into work, we were surprised at the freedom that we had on this show. It was very infrequently that we were told, absolutely not. Uh, you can't go there with these characters. So, um, yeah, no, it was, uh, it was an absolute blessing.
0: So, do do you feel like, on the same token, do you feel like this is a show that could have really been done anywhere but DC Universe? Is this really the perfect home?
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like <laughs> we truly have, like, gotten away with murder on this show. Um, and, yeah, I don't know that, uh, <laughs> Other places that have had uh, established uh, standards and practices in place for several years <laughs> would let us do it. Uh, so, uh, yeah, that and, uh, you know, because they're sort of, you know, the, the network also happens to be, uh, you know, the arbiters of uh, whether or not you can get away with, mm-hmm. with this stuff uh, with the intellectual property. Uh, you know, there was a shorthand there. There, was sort of, there were no uh, middle people so to speak. Very few
0: gatekeepers. And that's always a good thing, quite frankly. Now, to me, not just, the show isn't just funny, and I think that's one thing that fans are going to find out. It's very smart and self-aware as well. And in the very first episode, without spoiling anything, you kind of put a big spotlight, obviously, on Harley and Joker's relationship and what it really is. Now, how important was it for you all to share that realization that we're going to see in the first episode right away?
2: Oh, I mean, I think you needed that uh, to be the sort of impetus for Harley making, I mean, I, this isn't spoiling anything because it's all over the marketing. But you know, this show is ultimately about, uh, or at least the first thirteen episodes are about Harley striking out on her own to become the criminal queenpin of Gotham City, and you needed something that was, um, you know, convincing to drive her to do that because you know all of these years she's been, you know, even even in the times when she has. Been fed up with the Joker, she, you know, inevitably backslides into that same, uh, you know, toxic relationship, and so you really needed something to finally, you know, put a a finer point on it and and uh, you know, like bring it out in in, in sort of deep relief uh, for her that 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 this is not the person that you should be with, that maybe you shouldn't be with anybody right now. Um, before you, you figure out who you are and what you want uh, and what you bring to the table on your own. So, yeah, that was, it was crucial. And, but, you know, we wanted to sort of explore that in, you know, very quickly and kind of get it out of the way, and that's, like, that's what the pilot um, you know, uh, functions as. Um, it's sort of like a little bit of a primer, but also uh, you know, sort of a catapult into the, the future of Harley in, in this timeline, let's say.
0: So other than Harley, what's been your favorite character to play with on the show?
1: I for me, I would probably say Kite Man. Hell yeah. <laughs> yeah hell yeah. I'm
2: surprised that Justin didn't say Bane, but uh, yeah, Bane. I think I think between those two, uh Bane and Kite Man have been the most interesting. Kite Man because, you know, he's a he's a character who at least in our representation of him, he has no powers and uh, and yet he acts as if he is every bit as powerful as, you know, one of the Justice League. That, you know, his kite is his superpower.
1: Yeah, like there's a line in one of the episodes where he says to Ivy, he understands what she's going through because, you know, when you have great power, like being able to control all (laughs) plant life on Earth or a kite, you know, you have a lot of responsibility. And that, that line to us was like, you know, that's exactly that character, is he thinks that having a kite he thinks he's yeah. a big-time supervillain. Heavy is the back that holds the kite. Yeah. <laughs> um, I love that so
0: much.
2: But uh, yeah, so and and you know, obviously, like what Tom King's done with Kite Man, really fleshing out his character. Um, I mean, I, I thought that was genius, and we just wanted to do <laughs> go in a different direction with that, but also flesh out that character uh, in our, in our own way. It's he's he's a he's an awesome character. He plays a a. Uh, a very crucial role uh, in almost all 26 episodes of the show that we've produced thus far. Um, And then with regard to Bane, um, you know, we just decided to sort of take the opposite approach uh, to that character and making him uh, the the farthest thing possible from a criminal mastermind. He's got the same origin story, but uh, it's affected him in a very different way. And he's sort of the butt of... uh, of uh, <clears throat> the
0: Legion of Doom's jokes. You guys are definitely going to love Bane. I, I will definitely say that. Fans are definitely going to love Bane. Now, on that same token, you see you're kind of taking him away from being a criminal mastermind. You know how fans can be about certain characters, like this is the way this character is supposed to be. So which character do you think is going to really piss off the diehards the most?
2: Potentially Bane. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know... One thing is that, uh, you know, a lot of fans have been talking uh, to me directly, to Justin directly on Twitter about Harley and Ivy and their relationship and, you know, how mm-hmm. do we define that? And are we going to, you know, get right into their romance? And, you know, the, I, I would just ask uh, for people's patience with that one because I can I can sort of already see... Uh, some people feeling like we, we might have sold them a false bill of goods in terms of, you know, uh, Harley and Ivy being romantic partners. I, I, I assure you that we explore that. It just takes, uh, takes a little bit because we wanted the first 13 to really concentrate, at least as far as Harley is concerned, concentrate on her figuring out who she is, figuring out her career, you know, Ivy is her friend who is there along for the ride, but the evolution of their relationship and what that is, um, and the complications that ensue, you know, take some time to evolve. Um, you know, in the, in the show, when the show begins, Harley and Ivy have not necessarily been, uh, romantically entwined. Uh, and so that, that sort of thing is a discovery that 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 happens in the show and again it 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 takes time but uh, i assure you that we cover that subject matter
0: so there you go anybody that's been wondering there you go there's your answer you'll find out soon enough we're talking to justin halpern and patrick schumacher executive producers of the harley quinn animated series from dc universe which is going to be premiering on november the 29th now it's funny you, you bring up ivy because i was just about to ask about Lake Bell, because obviously Kaylee's amazing as Harley, but Lake Bell deserves a lot of credit for her work as Poison Ivy as well. Why do you think those characters and the performances of the two, two actresses complement each other so well?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that, that well, <clears throat> both those actors are crazy, are just, like, really exceptionally trained comedic performers. I mean, they're both, like, they both have totally different styles, but they're both just technicians, like they really know what they're doing uh, and <clears throat> I think that once each of them kind of wrapped their heads around the take that they wanted to go with for those characters, it was just a question of us writing to that and making sure we were supporting them and what they were trying to do. Uh, I think Lake like immediately got what poison what, what Poison Ivy was to her, which was someone who had been burned by human beings, had no interest in them, and that's what she wanted to, like, mine for the character. And so uh, I, I think that this, like, person who hates humans but also kind of on some level wishes that they had some deeper human relationships uh, is what carries that character, because it really could have been one note, And but Lake's so good at it, and she understands it so well that... Uh, it became something that had a lot of emotional depth. And with Kaylee, Kaylee really worked hard to figure out exactly what this Harley was going to be. I mean, that's a tall order to come in and voice Harley. It's been done so many times before by so many different people who have done it really well. It's been done in the movies as well. Uh, And so Kaylee came in, and she really wanted to try to do something that was different. A lot of people have said, like, why isn't she doing the traditional accent?" And I think one of the things that that is a testament to Kaylee is I think she's like, I don't want to do a uh, bad impression of Arlene Sorkin. Like, yes. I want to do my own thing. And that's what she ends up doing. And it ends up being a performance that's pretty layered. You know, She really did a great job.
0: Now, I've been lucky enough to see a few episodes ahead, and we were talking about favorite characters from the show. And I got to tell you, the first episode, I see Dr. Psycho. We find out he was going to be a character on the show at Comic-Con is definitely my favorite so far because you almost killed me, guys. I was in tears. I couldn't breathe. That's how funny that episode was. So is there one episode in particular that you guys are really looking forward to having fancy?
2: Uh, I am really looking forward to uh, people seeing 109, which shows the sort of inner workings of the Legion of Doom. Yeah, that was silly. There's just so many characters in that show in that particular episode, um, and we get to see, like, sort of behind the scenes of like the boardroom at the Legion of Doom, you know, and and you see Lex Luthor voiced by Giancarlo Esposito kind of going over the minutes and uh, and, and sort of running that room. You see uh, the the sort of banter, the pre-meeting banter, you know, it's sort of like host chat with like Bane and uh, Scarecrow and uh, just those two uh, sort of dreaming about random shit like what would the sequel to up be about (laughs) and uh before you know Lex Luthor has to wrangle them all and get down to business and then the scene sort of becomes like a version of uh that classic uh sort of pitch session from the movie Big where uh you know Tom Hanks in this case it's uh it's Harley sort of pitching an idea uh that she has and and uh and the Joker, or sorry, Joker pitching an idea in the sort of Tom Hanks role, sort of blue skying this this, this big, uh, t- like this big swing of an idea that he has. And, and Harley th- being in the John Hurd role of spoiler and just being like, I don't get it. And kind of turning people against uh, the Joker, which is not something that he is used to. Uh, you know, he is he is so unpredictable. He is that agent of chaos. And everyone on, on some level does fear him, even the rest of the supervillains. Uh, but he's taken down a notch, and I, I just, I don't know, that that scene kind of encompasses, for me, the, the tone of the show in kind of a perfect way, and, and sort of the the arc that Harley goes through in the season yeah. in sort of a perfect way.
1: That one also has, I think, like, real emotional moments in it that we tried really hard to hit in the show, that it wasn't just funny, but it had some some actual emotional grounding, um, for me, I think I'm excited for people to see the seventh episode, with, which is with Queen of Fables. Um, yes, just because that episode is so fucked up, <laughs> and and I and the one I find one of the funniest, uh, Wanda Sykes plays Queen of Fables, and anytime you get to do anything with Wanda Sykes, it's fun.
0: So before I let you guys go, I was thinking about this not not only when I was watching this show, but of course you can go all the way back to the super friends with this, and there's been so many members of the Legion of Doom. Is it just flat out too easy to get into the Legion of Doom, or do you really have to be a loser to not be in the Legion of Doom?
1: Well, that's what we try to say in the show, is that it it is easy to get into the Legion of Doom unless you're a woman.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That that is a good point. Lex Lex,
1: Lex has a line where where basically Ivy accuses him of not having any women in the Legion of Doom. He's like, we have one. I can't remember her name offhand, but we have one.
2: (laughs) Cheetah and she's literally just
0: in the background of scenes. There's just you guys are going to find out. There's so many layers to this show other than it being freaking hilarious and you are going to want to make sure if you if you're not already subscribed to DC Universe. First of all, get that out of the way right now cuz there's so much great stuff on there anyway, but you're going to want to make sure you're definitely subscribed by November the 29th. That's a Friday. That's when DC Universe's Harley Quinn premieres on the DC Universe streaming service and I know that you guys will be laughing just as hard as I was. Executive producers Justin Halpern, Patrick Schumacher, guys, thank you so much for joining me. No,
1: thanks for having us. Thanks, James.
0: I think you can just tell that Patrick Schumacher and Justin Halpern are just so excited for fans to finally get to see this Harley Quinn series they've been working on for so so long. And that's the th- And and again, I want to stress this one more time as somebody who's gotten to watch not just the first episode but a little bit further along. Not only is it hilarious to the point where I, I, I almost thought I was going to literally pass out from laughing, and that almost never happens, okay? You know when somebody like, types LOL when they're texting you back or something? They're not actually LOLing. There is LOLing when you're watching the Harley Quinn animated series. Like, legitimate, actual laughing out loud will occur, I guarantee it, and I don't throw out guarantees. I'm just saying that there is a lot of excitement here about how funny this show is going to be, but there's great depth there's great storytelling. There's just the things that they do with some of these characters, too, is just so unique and interesting that I, I just think you're going to love it. Make sure you're just subscribing to DC Universe, the streaming service, if you haven't already. So you can watch Harley Quinn, DC Universe's Harley Quinn, on November the 29th. That's when the first episode drops. This is an animated series that not only has great performances from the voice cast, but great stories as well. Cannot wait for you to see it that's going to do it for this week's edition of the down and nerdy podcast again thanks to patrick schumacher and justin Harper for joining me this week and the folks at warner brothers as well for setting all that up if you want more of my coverage of the harley quinn animated series especially from comic-con and the big activation go to down and nerdy podcast.com it is all up there also make sure you're following along on social media at down nerdy 757 on twitter and instagram and facebook.com slash down and nerdy Remember, you never have to apologize for being a nerd, so let your fan flag fly and be good to your fellow nerds.